strapped in the trenches Making moves going all out Every day handle business You know that the hustle don't stop Got my team, let's get it Reviewing books and talk stocks Steady keep it moving So you gon' wanna tune in Get Lowdell, it's an app Get local food on demand Delivery right to your home Everything in the palm of your hand Took hard work and dedication Come through, join the conversation This is history up in the making We just wanna be an inspiration Hey, let's go Welcome to another episode of Bootstrapped in the Trenches. It never hurts to ask. That's our theme today. We'll be diving into the Dark Towers book on Deutsche Bank and Donald Trump later on. But, and of course, we'll be going over before that what involves the theme of our business when you think of it never hurting to ask. But like always, we get rocking with Sunday night food comas. The food news and food for thought. Corey, let's start with you. What went on last night in your uh, tummy? Uh, last night, oh, what did I have? Um, it's a good question. I'm trying to think of what I ate. Oh, I had a, um, uh, I had a very nice Italian dinner. As you guys know, if you're listening, Italian's pretty much my staple on Sundays, either Italian or Chinese. Um, but yeah, I went to this restaurant, Felice, Kobe beef lasagna. I had um, some truffle gnocchi. And uh, some calamar, and it was it was awesome. And then um, I also did a, a food shop during the day at Trader Joe's. So I'm just stocked up right now, and I'm pretty pumped for dinner tonight. I don't know what I'm going to make yet, but I'm not going to be ordering delivery. I'm going to be cooking it up. Corey, do you ever notice when you go shopping that you end up eating whatever's in the fridge and then ordering on top of it? Oh yeah, I mean I spent like 250 bucks. It'll be done by like Wednesday. Yeah, that's always my issue. I've learned with myself. Like I used to try to just play the game of, oh, I'm going to shop and even moving to New York, I'm thinking, well, once I get settled in an apartment, I'll start grocery shopping, cooking. I'm going to just cut my losses before they even start with that and say now that's not even going to happen. I'm in my best shape physically and mentally when I actually don't go grocery shopping, as crazy as it sounds, because then I eat the amount a normal person eats. But when I have food in my fridge, I end up ordering on top of it every single time. I can't even help myself. I do that too. But usually, like I, I usually work out of like the co- coffee shops around town. Like today was a beautiful day. I worked outside at a Starbucks, and it was, it was like sixty-seven in New York. So I try not to be in the apartment during the day, um, and that you know at least at least I won't be eating the food in my fridge during the day. So that always helps. But yeah, if I'm in the apartment during the day working from home, I mean I'm just going to eat all day. You and me both, man. Yeah, how about you? I'm like the complete opposite of you guys because I don't eat enough, so I need to constantly be snacking. And the only way I actually do that is if I have cabinets overflowing with food, which I probably only have like 5% of my life. So most of the time, I just am constantly losing a couple pounds a week until I'm like nothing because I just don't eat enough food. That's a great problem to have. (laughs) Yeah. Right now, my uh, cabinets are stuffed and it's a great feeling. That's such a great feeling. I actually just did a little bit of a grocery run myself and kind of a limited run, but got some essentials. And yeah, yesterday, food coma. So it was kind of a, it was an all day food coma. I'm sure you guys saw my Instagram stories. I was at the Charleston Food and Wine Festival, which is this huge annual festival where chefs come in from all over the world. And it's it's big time. The tickets were sold out 
like minutes after the event came on and Danny was able to get tickets through her work. And basically you walk in, they hand you a wine glass. There is unlimited food and drink, like top shelf liquor, wine, beer, just like dozens and dozens of stations. And then the food, you know, some great seafood, barbecue food, sweets. I was literally in heaven. It was awesome. I'm going to make a sick video from all like the, I took a lot of awesome video footage and photos. I'm going to turn it into a really cool photo or video. And it was, uh, I felt like an official introduction to Charleston is what it felt like. Yeah. It it seemed like that. It seemed that way. It's definitely a good introduction to start with all their, you know, local food. Any surprises down there, Dan, like hidden gems you weren't expecting food wise? Yeah. So actually the biggest surprise and the best thing that I had was it came from Kiowa Island Golf Resort. So Kiowa Island is about 20 minutes from Charleston and it's this gorgeous island. It's actually where Bill Murray has his house and there's just all these epic golf courses there. They're having the PGA championship there, 2021. And the Kiwa Island Golf Resort is like their main hotel resort on the island. And they were there and they had this signature green curry dish that they made specially just for the Charleston Food and Wine Fest. So it wasn't a dish that they normally even have. And it was absurd. I actually spilled some all over my shirt and it was like within the first hour of getting there. And then Danny spilled some on her jean jacket when she went there a couple hours later. So that was the best food, like dinner-ish thing I had. And then to compliment that, the other thing I had that was out of this world was this homemade ice cream sandwich using like Guinea's beer ice cream and then chocolate chip cookies. It was like the most beer. Yeah, it was insane, man. It was so, so, so good. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing that was, the thing that's cool down here is like, everyone's got this like classiness vibe to them. Like everyone dresses really cool, like guys and girls, they all have like their thing going on. And I feel like that's kind of, I'm, I'm all about that. So I was able to kind of, you know, get a little dressy, get a little classy yesterday. I was rocking like a blue blazer with a button up. Yeah. Every day's derby day down there. It seems. I was just going to say, it reminded me of Kentucky (laughs) Derby. I was just going to ask you that. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, there's no doubt. Like being down here makes me feel like I need to buy myself a pair of pink pants. It's just uh, people down here, they have like this classiness when it comes to dressing that I, I actually really like. I've always I've always admired those people from afar. Even when I like went to school in Boulder, the kids that would come from the south, like the preppy ones. I've always thought it was a good look. It's, it's a big uh, fitting right in. It's a big right Brooks in. brother Brooks brothers vibe. Absolutely. Like the, yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was a uh, great weather too. So overall, I had a good time. Nice. I did the. Uh, I went out with Paul to uh, Dallas Barbecue to start off the food coma, which is so in Times Square. Surprisingly, really good. He wanted to go there, and I was at first like, "What, really?" And I wasn't <laughs> yeah. really in the. You know, with barbecue, you have to be in the mood for it, and I wasn't until I got there. But then when I really looked at the menu and saw some servings next to me being dropped off. I was like, oh, wow, I'm pumped. And it was absolutely phenomenal. I went with uh, some shrimp and wings to start off and then a half chicken, some rice, some cornbread, and then went back, crushed some gelato, which was incredible. And on top of the gelato, I, I then went full on fat kid food coma and did a pizza from Emmett's, which is Chicago- 
Yeah, this is Corey. I don't know if you've had this. Yeah, I, mean, I have. It's it's great because it, it's, it's not quick. the thick crust; it's the thin crust. So it's thin crust Chicago. So I come all this way, moving to New York, and here I am. My favorite pizza happens to be a Chicago. So yeah, the thing with deep dish, they have that too. Deep dish is too thick, and for me, it's not a pizza I thoroughly enjoy because afterwards you can't move. I love thin crust pizza, but this has this deep dish feel to it still even though it's thin crust. So huge fan of Emmett's when you're in New York, make sure to check it out because it's phenomenal. And I ran that off this morning. Like Corey said, it was really nice out. I ended up going on a nice city run on the West side, uh, you know, right by the river. So that was cool. That's awesome. Mike, I'm so jealous. You're right by Ruby Rosa, which is my favorite pizza spot on Mulberry street. I uh, I actually went there uh, with Paul three days ago. Yeah, there you go. That, that is the best. But yeah, guys, that that was it tonight. I'm actually meeting Leon at uh, China Cafe or Cafe China. It's called in Midtown. Have you ate there, Corey? Uh, yes, I because I used to live right there. Cafe there China. It's really, it's really good. It's expensive. I, yeah, I've heard really good things. So yeah, catching up with Leon, my buddy. I haven't seen him in a while. So that'll be a good, you know, I'm doing the intermittent fasting thing like always. So um, uh, after this, we'll be running over to Midtown and crushing some Sichuan Chinese food. And uh, and with that, Corey, let's break down. Or Dan, I guess start with the food news. All right. Well, the food news has really just turned into the coronavirus update because to me, that's the only news we're talking about right now. So let's really dive into everything that's happening. This is updates from all over the world. So we got three cases that just popped up in Hawaii. Northern Italy quarantined over 16 million people. They basically locked down the whole northern region of Italy. The death toll is over 230 people now in Italy. So Italy's starting to become like the worst case of this. There's over 100,000 cases worldwide, over 3,600 deaths. Iran's the other place that's getting it real bad. They have over 6,000 cases, over 145 deaths. A hotel in China that was quarantining people collapsed, killing six people inside. A San Francisco cruise ship just tested 21 people positive of coronavirus. An individual who attended the Trump and Pence conference last week tested positive for the coronavirus. South Korea is the largest country experiencing it with over 7,000 cases. New York's got 76 now. And then the only country that seems to kind of figure this out is Singapore. And it seems like what Singapore is doing is contact tracing. Essentially, they're doing what a lot of countries would look at as not really acceptable, where they'll basically interview patients, call their contacts, collect data on their movements and transportation operations to see where everyone's been. And that's how they're deciding who to test and things like that. And apparently, if testing kits were appropriately given out across the world, there would be 2.8 times as many cases as there are now. And the reason that the cases that are being reported aren't way higher is just there's not enough people being tested. So that's what's going on there. If you ask me, Trump's kind of losing his mind saying that this is still fake news. Like the fact that he tweeted that this morning was kind of like, dude, what the fuck's wrong with you at this point? And then on top of that, you know, Russia and Saudi Arabia just waged an all out war on oil, which is why the stock market collapsed over 2000 points today. Yeah, and 
I think Russia is the real winner here when you think about it. When you actually look into this, they are the ones that are benefiting out of everybody. And where this virus started, right near Russia, the Wuhan province, you start to wonder, four years ago, the Russian hacking, this could be something that stemmed from them. I'm starting to think that's what's going on here. Well, look, when you look at the oil thing, I mean, just to make sense of it all, the way that a lot of these a lot of these shell companies in the United States operate is they need oil prices to be significantly higher than $30 a barrel in order to just exist. And if it gets to that price, they just aren't able to make money. And a lot of them have these huge debt sheets. And a lot of them are going to most likely go completely bankrupt and go to zero. Not companies like Exxon and BP, but the actual companies that are like based in the United States that do the drilling. So basically, in 2016 is when the OPEC alliance was formed and it was formed to prevent this exact thing because that's the last time that oil was down here and it was essentially uh agreement that they were gonna limit the amount of oil that they could drill out of the world like where the whole world would be involved to prevent oil from being this cheap again and vladimir putin literally just said fuck that we're done starting april 1st russia is allowed to produce as much oil as they possibly want and that's what's causing oil to go to shit because russia if they produce as much as they want drives the price way down and the way it ties in with the coronavirus, as it is, the demand for oils drops so significantly because people aren't traveling, whether it's by plane, whether it's by car or whatever. So that's kind of how this is all connected. Now, on top of that, for oil prices to come down so much, it's like Trump tweets that that's good for the economy. It's not. It's not like all of a sudden oil being a dollar cheaper per gallon where people are saving 25 bucks every time they fill up their cars. Like that isn't enough to say this is good for the economy. On the other side of it, what this does to the rest of the economy, like it trickles down to the banks. All the major banks in the world have major exposure to these oil companies. So if the oil companies go to zero, you know, JP Morgan, 7.6% of their entire business is these oil fracking companies. So yeah, I mean, you are right. Russia, at least i don't know about the coronavirus i'm not gonna say any of this was started by anyone i don't have an opinion on that but russia is definitely benefiting from oil prices going to 30 dollars a barrel because they don't care well have you heard of any any confirmed cases of in coronavirus in russia one look it up well here's what i'll say about that is as a U.S. citizen, let me ask you: With everything you just said about Russia, like, would you do you believe anything Russia or China says anyway? Like when China I, says, I, I personally think this is all premeditated. I'm in the belief that humans are all puppets, and we're this is as I'm older now with cash that I just lost most of. At the end of the day, I think that all of this stuff's premeditated, and the human population is moved around like pawns based on a few impactful decisions that are made by, I, I don't know who specifically, but there's no doubt there this was politically motivated and it's gotten worse off of this oil situation with the perfect storm. I kind of look at it like the, I was telling Corey, I think yet earlier on text, this reminds me of 2000, except it's not the desktop version, it's the mobile version, where this bubble pop when you really look at the dynamics, and we've talked about this for years, these companies launch, they don't make money, they employ a bunch of people. I, I think there was something bound to happen. The culprit was not something any of us expected. Who knows what started this virus or what 
to be honest with you, I still don't take it seriously in terms of the ramification. When we keep going over the debt toll, it's not that high. Last week it was 3,200. This week it's 3,800. Is this that bad? I highly doubt it. And it's fucked up the economy. The oil thing is going to trigger a mass, mass next level recession now that I don't think was part of this agenda going in. So I, I think we're in deep shit personally. Uh, the, it's going to take a long time to the one benefit. I think this actually might be a silver lining for our own industry. We might see a couple of these big companies go under because I, I honestly don't think that this was something that they were prepped for at all who could have been and they needed money. A Postmates ran out of money a few months ago. So two things. One, Russia has confirmed a lot of cases. They're starting to pop off with this left and right, just like everybody else. And two, any company that is still producing sales, which DoorDash and Postmates definitely are, are going to be at zero risk of getting more capital. It's oil companies with these massive debt sheets that now aren't even getting the sales. Like DoorDash and Postmates are doing just fine. It's not it's zero not risk, and I'll tell you why. The institutional investment money gets yanked, and then they're at huge risk because they need to recoup cash that just most of their investors just lost over half of their net worth in four weeks. No, so for sure. I'm more that's, saying, that's, that's what that is. That's what I'm working Yeah. On. I'm more saying, though, the companies that are really at risk of going under are ones that are actually losing out on business sales because of this virus, which, if anything, the Postmates and DoorDashes of the world fall into the category of companies that are gaining from this virus. Whereas, like, until you look they at have oil companies. That's the thing. They're gaining until their model changes off of needing to recoup cash, which is coming. I was talking to Greg about this earlier. He's like, man, your silver lining here is that there's no more running back to the well to just keep bleeding cash. Now it's about, oh, shit, I need to take money out of this. Because the, the now if you even look at IPO with DoorDash when they filed compared to today from three weeks ago, it's a different ballgame. Like the landscapes change, that changes the complete dynamic. Like you saw in the financial crisis, there was no VC money being dumped into spaces at all. Do you so think I, they'll end up pulling back and not IPOing? Yes, I, I don't think they have a choice. Like, and that's where Corey, you get into a situation where that might lead to them having to yank markets from to actually but, uh, be able to make money. So, yeah, it's like, and also don't forget, it's obviously going to be harder to get drivers if this shit gets even more widespread. Well, the vi- I mean, yeah, you're right. Short term, the virus. I personally think, if anything, after this virus, the dust settles on that, we'll have a way easier time than we have in years of finding drivers because yeah. people are going to be losing jobs here. The next uh, March jobs report coming out, we're going to finally see. That's the irony, guys. It's weird because this bull run. It's been awful for our own company. And the irony is when we built this business, it was in the it, it was starting to build up during the financial crisis. We're in a, I'm not going to say fully recession-proof business, but when you think of the niches that long-term benefit from something like this, yeah, it's up. Food, absolutely. So I, that's been my one silver lining I've been thinking about the last few weeks. I'm like, well, maybe this gives us room to breathe again at some point soon. I might be way off there, but it can't hurt. That's yeah, sure. no, I, I agree. I mean, I think I think you're way off. I don't think our industry gets affected by this at all. If anything, I'm not I way think off at all. Man. When I have seen friends of mine telling me Postmates is on the br- brink of bankruptcy a month ago, and that we're was talking about for a year. 
Well, we'll find out. There, there's always victims of this shit. When you there have are people, always, victims. always victims. It's popping, baby. I've been waiting for this. I'm pissed off personally. I've lost a ton of money, but there'd be nothing I'd like more than to see Postmates go bankrupt. I'd take the loss. I just had to see that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that would really change the narrative in our space completely if one of these fall, companies fall victim. Oh, yeah. So, That'd be huge. I mean, the one thing saw- I'll say about the market, Dad had a great point, and he said when I was talking to him earlier, he was like, "The one silver lining is there is no silver lining, and that's when you know you're close to a bottom. Is when everyone's saying like this is just fucked, and no one's saying, oh, it's okay.' He's like, "That's the silver lining." Dad seemed very calm an hour ago when I talked to him. Oh, I talked to Dad earlier. I mean, I don't. I, of course, like we always joke around about with this stuff. I had kids hitting me up. They're like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. What do you mean, what am I doing? It's like, unless you're in the stock market and need to take all your money out today for some awful reason, whatever that might be. If it's like a, if it's your retirement fund, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you're not supposed to do anything. I, obviously, anyone that has money on the sidelines, jump in. That's what I say. Yeah, 100%. Like, this is, you know, you're going to look back at this in 10 years or the planet will be over. That's what I joke around. It's like, well, either the world ends or things go back up. And I'd like to think humanity is pretty resilient. And we always, you know, this was bound to happen, guys. When you yeah. think about this pop, we've been on this rise, this rise. There was bound to be something. And I think that it's also ironic. It's funny how this always seems to time the timeliness of these themes with what we're reading. I think with what's happening now in the world where we see like this type of correction and people getting greedy. I, I think it, it really hits home with what we read with Dark Towers. And even when you think about the shit we've seen in our industry, that book reminded me of our competitors, where it's just, you know, in a way, it's. I know it was a bit different. Trump asking for insane loans, just being given them over and over again, manipulating certain people. But when you really think about it, that's what, the in my mind, this boiled down to is it doesn't hurt to ask because Worst case, someone's going to say no, or they're going to just roll with it because humans make mistakes all the time. And they're, that that's the ongoing theme I think we've seen in our own industry with how VC-backed it's been, where there hasn't really been any rhyme or reason behind a lot of these deals that have taken place. That, that hit really home for me throughout that entire book because the narrative, just like last week with American Dirt, the constant theme was just ongoing battling through the trenches where Deutsche Bank was just, you know, free flowing money. They, they really just did not give a shit. And it was top heavy. You have a couple decision makers that changed the entire landscape for a huge company like that. So I figured that'd be interesting to go over with you guys is what are your thoughts on for starters it never be never hurting to ask. Cause you saw with Donald Trump throughout that book, it's like, who are we never to, to not try to get a huge loan if we wanted to. People are people that are behind these things. Yeah, and that's the story of Donald Trump in general. <laughs> I mean, it is really is. He's always had that same method, and uh, yeah, I mean, guys have worked out for him pretty well. You guys are gonna crack up at this, but uh, before we even go any further, on Friday, Mike, when I texted you and asked what book we were reading, you told me Dark Waters. I so did. I, I noted my bad. I completely fucked that up. So if you guys want to hear about this submarine book, I got a lot of good notes. Get out of here. Did you actually read that? You know what's so funny, Dan? When I I was going through our text, and I this morning I was online, 
just looking up stuff on this author, and I'm like, where the hell is this book? And I kept typing the author in with Dark Waters, and nothing was coming up, and they kept like having me trigger a different spelling of the author. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's up here? And then I look back, I'm like, oh, Dark Towers. So that, that was my bad. That's really funny. So you didn't read Dark Towers at all. I have no idea what it's about. I'm pumped to hear you guys talk about it. <laughs> I, I mean, I pretty much summed it. It's really a very – it reminded me last week of just the ongoing – like Corey can attest to this. It's Deutsche Bank being reckless. And I'm not yeah. saying that had anything to do with last week's book, but the narrative was the same of like them battling through trying to get to Arizona. Deutsche Bank, it was one thing after another that just exploited greed and you know certain people benefiting but fucking up the collective. Which I always yeah. think is fascinating. It goes back to that eighty twenty rule. Yeah, so top executives out. just getting absolutely paid to you know they they would just take on the riskiest deals that no other bank would just to turn quick profits. And then, you know, they got into derivatives and they're like half their portfolio was like these risky derivatives. And they were just involved in like the sketchiest things over, you know, since like the eighties to, to uh, present day, like all their investments were very risky. Are there like a few specific investments that you could talk about that stuck out? I mean, dude, what stuck out was Donald Trump being able to get hundreds of millions of dollars without any substance behind it. That was really yeah. the, like when you really break down what they they had basically imagine being boys with a restaurant owner like Jared at Butch's and he's just like Corey you don't have to pay for pizza man more than like you know thirty cents a slice we're we're gonna just figure this out I, you're the man yeah and I, I like this guy you know he's a big pizza eater like that's yeah, it, that's the best analogy I use that Corey's gonna be getting a lot more pizza from us down the road so. Let's just keep giving them fraction on the dollar, you know, cents on the dollar pizzas. Yeah, like Dan Trump. Trump would literally just keep getting these uh, these crazy loans to build properties, and then like he he was in a, a weird place with this one division, and then he would just switch into a different division of the bank and get it like to the private equity section and just get another loan and. I guess because of his personal finances all seemed legitimate. They would keep giving him loans. And then I think there is one building, the Trump Towers in Chicago, where he got out of a crazy loan due to his lawyers finding some loophole where the only loophole in the contract was if there is a natural natural disaster, he could get out of it. And there was some not really a natural disaster, but a newspaper quoted it as a natural disaster and his lawyers were able to finagle his way out of it. He didn't end up having to pay anything. You know, he just went, uh, you know, he would just figure out everything any way possible. And then they literally kept giving him loans. Other sectors of Deutsche Bank would just keep giving him loans and he'd keep doing it. And there was a whole thing in 2016 that played out. Um, I'm trying to think of what it was. Mike, do you remember at the end of the book? Um, where uh, I'm trying um, try to think real quick. Well, you think about that. Was the book more about Trump or Deutsche Bank? It was all about Deutsche Bank. Yeah, Deutsche but- Bank, like their rise to the top, just about you know they they broke down even during the Nazi era. They they went into that a bit how they were clearly German backed, and you know, man, it went into their whole hundred fifty year history. And but there's no doubt the underlying theme around that 
it, it almost made you think that they're responsible for Trump being the president of the United States. Uh, and they were, yeah, and exactly. It was that whole thing with the Russian I, Kushner's company was giving money to Russians, and they found out, and that was all through Deutsche Bank. They oh were yeah, like, that's another thing. His family yeah. has gotten a ton of money from them, so it really makes you wonder what what went into that election on another level. And not what I thought was interesting is Deutsche Bank's ties to the Nazi regime, because they they were literally yeah, that was with destruction of concentration camps from the financing of it, and they helped manufacture poison gas. They were the organization of businesses all over Europe they participated in. So that that was really fucked up. I thought that, you know, I know there's been some movies on that, but I didn't really know the extent of Deutsche Bank being anchored with the Nazis. So that that was pretty mind blowing. And yeah, but no, it was crazy because you they even go over to about the CEO, like back in the early 2000s, how all he cared about was getting the bank profiting on another level by like, I think it was like 600%. And it didn't matter to him what type of way they went about to make that happen. So everyone that worked for this guy, their own personal mission was just, we need to profit this much. Like, don't worry how it's done. So when you have that kind of culture, it almost reminds me of um, Wolf of Wall Street with just the free for all greed (laughs) where there's no accountability. And, you know, that makes you think, when we see like these types of pops in the markets, it's kind of shocking it doesn't happen more often because it seems like in finance, everyone has such a short-term memory and things happen and then it just cycles back. So I, I find it interesting how we really are at the point that banks are too big to fail because look at Deutsche Bank. It's a prime example. They're around. Yep. Yeah. This is also a completely different dialogue and situation than what happened with like the bank financial crisis in 2008 like the banks are all really healthy right now they're not even close to being in a sticky situation like they were in 2008 they have massive well, I'm more mean than I'm more I'm just referring to like how powerful they are where there's really nothing like dude you could even look into what they were doing like now it, the whole Russian thing with the last election the reason that was such a big thing on Trump was because Deutsche Bank was laundering money for Russian customers back in the day. So all the Western banks besides Deutsche had no interest in working with Russians, but magically Deutsche had no problem doing that because they were so money hungry. They didn't care about it was from the oligarchs. Like that's what, when I think about this book, that was fascinating to me because finding out some of these things about that Russian connection, it's like, Oh, okay. Now I see why the media was so on Trump's ass. Uh, the irony is, though, reading between the lines, I really don't think Trump had anything to do with that end of it. It was just yeah. it looked so bad because they both were from the same source at different times. And people clearly were like, oh, Trump's had such a long lasting relationship with them. So of these Russian customers trying to connect the dots. Sure, maybe that's not a coincidence. But my take is Deutsche Bank is just greedy as shit. And they're down to do whatever it takes to make a lot of money. That's that's pretty much what it was. There's anything to make a buck, they would kill it. There's even got like that guy who's committing like uh, false tax forms a- in London and uh, getting these huge tax rebates for like upwards of forty-seven million pounds, and it would go through. It was like a top executive. He did it like three times and just making insane cash, and it was none of it was legal at all. 
It's crazy. It really yeah. is. And no one, you know, the th- crazy thing is, it's like no one really gets in trouble. Like That's what I mean. Like, what? Himself, which he died from suicide. But a lot of these people just hide behind the wall of the name where oh, there's all these loopholes and it's like they can do no wrong. Like imagine working it's, in one of these places knowing, oh, I could do a lot of sketchy shit here and I'm not going to get in trouble personally. The company, and I'm, but I'm going to reap a lot of rewards in the meantime. Yeah. I mean, and all banks do this. Like at Wells Fargo a couple of years ago uh, with whatever they were doing, it was some, like spending customers' money. I don't even know. But all these banks are just shady at the end of the day. But it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because Trump even highlights in the book where he was like, I reached a point. They were like pissed off about a loan I wasn't paying back. And I'm like, you shouldn't have given it to me. He'd be like, yeah, yeah. I'm not the bank. I, You guys, you gave me something. And, you know, and he got out of paying back a ton of money playing that card where he defaults on loans and, you know, go bankrupt and goes genius. He played the system. He played it perfectly. He would literally get all of his name on every single building he built without even putting a single, like hardly any money in. It was unbelievable how yeah. he worked the system. So it's fascinating thinking about that. Just how that's why so, many people. That's why so many people. That's why so many people hate Trump, though. They know that that's what he did. Yeah, and they, they, look- Bank, they should be hating Deutsche Bank. Trump. It was just a product of the system. He he exploited was, something that was there. You can't really hate sure. the guy for being a hustler like that when you think about it. I look. Yeah. I don't. I, it was during that time period. I you know he was trying to like you said, find the gray areas in the laws and exploit them, which is exactly what you should do when you're in his position prior to being president. And he even used that to his advantage on his campaign. He said, like, I beat the system. I know how to stop others from beating the system, which was like playing into it, which is kind of cool. There's there's a system, there's always going to be someone beating it. That's the reality. I have to say, this is somewhat of a unique spin where two of us read the book and one doesn't. So then there's like one of us is like kind of asking questions as you guys explain it. Maybe we rotate and there's always one person who doesn't read it. So it's like we're here to kind of hear the summary and be like, well, wait, what about this? What well, Corey suggested one book every two weeks. If you guys want to rotate who isn't reading one every week, that way it's not as demanding. That might make the most sense to do this. This book just happened to be a perfect book to ask questions about because it's like, you know, real stuff and it was recent and relevant. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, we also have Dr. Rafat, Dr. Rafat's coming on next week, which should be a very entertaining. Uh, Corey, that's my childhood friend that uh, we grew up with. He's in med school and is an absolute beast. He'll, he'll have some great stories. Yeah, that's what I was saying. We can like, if we want to do a book every other week, we can, the other week we don't have a book, we could just interview someone to make up for that time. But yeah, I don't know. I don't mind. It's been going. I feel well. like the weekly book is like a consistent thing that could become a theme that gets people really engaged with what we're doing. So I we think it's going to help us pop this off. I, I really do believe, Corey, even with us in New York right now, like once this marinates a bit more, we might be able to start hosting book clubs off this. Like we might be able to do this on another level with the brand. For sure. Yeah. I, as it is, I still like I was looking around even like out of curiosity with book clubs I almost feel like there's something here with that on another level of interactivity with like doing book clubs in the new age where it doesn't have to be necessarily in person, but maybe something where it's like a group chat like this and we end up starting meetups down the road. Could be cool. 
Yeah, the question is, like, how could you get, like, thousands of people involved in a discussion where it's, like, flowing in a way where it works? You can do it like they do, you know, those conferences. Like, I saw a poll on one the other day where they had, like, a moderator, and then they were rotating who had the floor on, like, the thing. So there's definitely ways. I know what you mean, Dan. I think it would be more of just getting a pool of people together on a platform for engaging, being able to hear us on here, and they can submit their thoughts, too, with questions, typing that we can highlight. Maybe that's the way we do it, just thinking out loud. There's no doubt, though, I think there are a lot of people. I'm seeing it even from friends hitting me up, like, that's cool you guys review a different book every week. So combined sure. with everyday guest, the notion of the everyday book, that should be able to be a couple different ways of us building up this community organically. And by the way, the Wells Fargo scheme that was going on, they were creating fake accounts to, like, hit quotas to try to raise their stock price and people, they finally got caught and then they got fined billions of dollars. But yeah, it's just crazy that like a huge bank like that would be literally just creating fake accounts. Wild how greedy people get. It's like, when yeah. is enough enough with that shit? Exactly. Yeah. How much money do you actually need? It's insane. One of the books we got to review on here is that billion dollar whale book, which was the Goldman Sachs scandal with the Malaysia shit. It's another bank that just was illegally doing a bunch of shit that got like a slap on the wrist. Yeah, they just keep moving. You know, they don't care. Uh, Corey, you want to dive into the food for thought? I know we kind of skipped over that. Yeah, so it's actually good good for this one. It's a good ending. Um, so we're just going to do a dive into our March Madness pool. So I don't know if you guys have that in front of you, but well, you just pull it up. Yeah, just pull up the brackets. We're gonna have we're gonna predict a final four, each of us. So yeah, Corey and I brainstormed when we were together the other day. Really the best way to do this will be just we can have people submit uh 10 to 15 second insta story videos based on what's you know food they are. And then what we'll do is we'll put it up on the insta story and then we'll let the masses debate over who's better. And then I just you want know, you realize like if we email that to customers we're lucky if we get one submission that's not going to like lead people to sending videos we're going to have to do way more to actually get videos being sent in i don't really know what that is but here's an example when we put up a food review and turned it into a facebook ad that we've been spending money on asking other people to submit their own reviews we haven't had one anytime we try and get people to send us videos it's never actually happened we could try. I'm just saying there's a good chance. Well, no, this might not, I, I loved where Corey said that with this. I think it's one of those things. Worst case, it doesn't work. Best case, it does. And it's just Word. a good talking point for people. You know what I mean? Also, plan yeah, B, should, if, it, if, if we literally can't get people to post videos, what we could do is just put up an Instagram poll for us to vote like one verse 16. And then we just have our users vote which one they like better. And it won't be a video debate, but you know, it will, we can do a bracket and have tournaments, I guess, and complete it. I think there's no doubt we're onto something here in general as like its own thing. This whole debating for people to be in tournaments yeah. in general, like this format, there is something brewing in my head for us here where I'm seeing this. It's like there, I even see it when I put up tw uh, Twitter debates every day, these questions, Pete, we yeah. get a lot of interaction. Yeah. No, people have no doubt. People love that. And at least this, there, there is a $500 food credit bonus. That's what I was saying. The, the food credit bonus has to be like a really good one for people to actually want to do this. Well, that, that's right, what so we I'm on, I have it pulled up. Yeah. What's up, Dan? So I have it 
I have the March Madness, the March Food Madness thing pulled up now. So I see like there's the 17 different rows with a different food item in each row. And then it's like a voting thing. And if you pick the one. Well, it's going to be like a regular tournament bracket. So we're going to fill out this in like a March Madness bracket style. So like the first, yeah, 16 rows, you know, it's one versus 16. For those listening, it's like the first one seed versus 16 in the East section is New York pizza versus saltwater taffy. And then what we'd ideally like to have are people debating, you know, 15 seconds. So Dan, if you had New York pizza, you'd be debating why New York pizza is the best. And I would be debating why saltwater taffy is awesome. And, you know, you get like 10 to 15 seconds to debate each food item. And then if you win, we post a poll or we decide the winners and you move on to the next round. This and, is really bar barstool sports should do this. This is yeah. such like a thing that they would crush. They so, they do like polls on their they do this on their like uh they have like a voting poll and they just have their their readers just vote. True. And they just do it. Yeah. Well if you look at guys, if you look at the bra I put tabs for each. If you just look at bracket sixty four, it'll give you a, an idea how this thing's laid out for like the actual yeah. bracket. So, yeah, exactly. And then is it basically like when New York Pizza is playing saltwater taffy, the want people submitting or videos of them explaining why it's better? Yeah, well, yeah debating. On, yeah, exactly. So does that mean that each week we'd be sending out a different email being like, hey, here's this week's matchup? No, no, no. Well, because they'd be DMing us the videos of them debating their food, and then we would just let the winner know. And then we were saying, like, once it gets to Elite Eight, we can start posting these videos and – yeah, I don't know. It'd just be a ton of contest content for us to have. I think it would be pretty cool. I think that the concept's phenomenal. I think our biggest problem here is going to be the interactivity of most of these people actually being down to submit videos just because they're pussies, to be honest. Like, I, I just it think could happen. People, but no, I, I think this is a great thing for us to attempt. I mean, if anything, it's going to create talking points. And, well, you know, it's not aren't going to do it because they're pussies. They're not going to do it because we haven't marketed it. And emailing, it's not a form of marketing. We would need to like build this up for months leading up to it with like posting things daily, kind of planning in people's heads where it's not just like out of nowhere. Hey, I don't, dude, Anthony said that last year to me. I don't agree with that because this is not, this is a timely thing for March Madness. People aren't thinking about this stuff months ahead. No, I know. But it's, 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 when you're asking someone to fill out a bracket, it's a very on the spot. For thing, free right? credit. Where it's but, like, oh, this is all food related. So they're, sure. all they have to do is, you know, when you're, decide. You're trying to, when you're trying to get someone in like the mentality of actually participating in something where they're going to be like videotaping themselves, you know, and for them to just read an email and then be like, all right, I'm in. It, it usually requires. Well, it's all about the prize. Like the prize has to get them motivated to do it. Yeah. No, I hear you. And then so going back to how it works. So we send the whole bracket and they'll see that the first match is pizza versus taffy, and then they're sending in videos of just that. No, no, no. We're gonna we're gonna create a Facebook event where they have to actually be in the event, and then they'll get seated. We'll then have a Facebook live where I get a hat for us, and we pick and choose each seat, and then fill it out. So basically, the email is just for us to get sixty-four entries in Buffs and B Town. If we're just doing those two markets, just to sign up. So we just need sixty-four people. Or we can even cut the brackets in half if we get less people. But we just need 64 people to sign up and be a part of it. And what? It's like the first 64 that sign up are in and then it's closed yep. off? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then we pick them out of the hat to see what seed they are. 
that we put up on the live instant Facebook TV. It's probably a better thing to just put on our Instagram stories than email. It's more relevant. For we should do well. We should do both. Like what? For all we know, the email will trigger some people actually looking into this. Yeah, like want to win five hundred dollars could just be a the, so where, the yeah. subject line. So where does somebody actually sign up? Oh well, I have to create the Facebook event. So the way we do it is we sit, we create a Facebook event, have them, you know, they all get a link like a ticket. So they'll they'll be sixty four admins for each for Bob Sam B Town. We could decide for Low Dell. We could try to if we want to do those markets, just do generic between all of them. So what if we? So if we sent out an email blast to tens of thousands of our users, what happens if like eight hundred join? That's great. That, well, we're going to then, what we could do, if we don't want to limit it, we could just pick out of the hat first who the 64 are and then seed them. Or what we could do is limit it to the first 64 that sign up in the event where it's a limit, where it's like, oh, we send, I create a Facebook event. We send out a link in an email, like RSVP here, almost like it's an in-person event, but it's online. And we say the first 64 people to sign up are in this tournament. Okay. I think we got to- Oh, yeah, we should- we should start posting like now on social, start building a buzz, just like looking for entries. Yeah. We should probably only post this on Instagram if we're trying to do a 64 person tournament. Like we don't want to send a hundred thousand emails out for 64 entries. That's just going to, I mean, Dan, I don't know what you're talking about with these multiple emails. They, there should only be one email sent out. No, I'm talking about the fact that like email or buffs B town alone, like ha- like that massive email list. So if we're only trying to get 64, we might get that from a couple Instagram stories alone. But well, maybe we- what we do then, maybe we don't, we limit it to six, obviously 64, is the amount of people that get in but maybe it's worth us trying to get a lot of people signing up for this and then we choose which ones just to get way more outreach yeah yeah like if we get 200 people signing up we just pick out of a hat 64 people out of those 200 that gets to like participate yeah. well yeah. yeah i think the more of them if, if we have that many people trying to sign up that's a huge win for us so that's great then that'll just be an expansive picking out of the hat what we'll do is we'll start with that on selection Sunday by just picking out 64 lucky winners and seating them on the spot. There's also those, yeah, we can even do, uh, they have like those auto generators where you just enter the names and then it just picks random people. You can use that too. If you don't feel like writing names down and yeah. picking out of a hat. I, I think the longer I'm live for us picking things out of a hat, the better, because it leads to more, the likelihood more and more people are jumping on being like, what's going on here. True. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that works. So maybe we should start posting soon on Instagram and, you know, seeing if we need to send out an email blast by Sunday if we're not getting entries. Well, yeah, I, I guess that what's for starters here, I've got to create the actual Facebook event. But anyway, on for food for thought, what we're going to do is just pick right now, forecast your final four, and then pick one Cinderella team. Corey, start with you. All right. So in the East, um, I'm taking New York pizza. I mean, you have to. Uh, in the West, and by the way, my Cinderella team is Po' Boy in the South. Wow. In the Yeah. In the West Division, I am going – wow, this is tough. This one's a hard – I'm going to go avocado toast. Really? With the eight seed. Yeah. I'm, I think they're going to sneak in somehow. Um, Interesting. That's bold. I know. Oh, and then in the south, also a risky pick at 
Well, actually not that risky, but I'm taking mac and cheese in the South just because I think mac and cheese can actually win it all. Um, Everyone loves mac and cheese. And then in the Midwest, I'm going to go with Kansas City barbecue. Wow. In honor of Dan. (laughs) Yeah. Dan, how about you? Um, In the East, I'm going to go with New York pizza. In the West, I'm going to go with the California burrito. In the South, I am going to go with fried chicken. And oh, fuck, I didn't see that. Yep, damn straight. And, and in the Midwest, <laughs> I'm going to go with – I mean, am I allowed to pick same teams as you? Yeah. 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 All right, so I'm also taking Kansas City barbecue for the West, and uh, and I have to choose who I think is going to win it all. No, oh, no Cinderella is like an underrated pick. So that is that – Make like it a- far. Okay, I think my Cinderella – here, Mike, why don't you do yours while I figure out my Cinderella team? Okay, so the, let me start with the Midwest here just to switch things up. I would say this is a really tough one. Um, the, the, I'm the going to – bracket, the, very tough. Yeah, well, I'm going to go with deep dish pizza to come out of the Midwest naturally. And the South, I am going to go – you know what? I'm going to go with Southern Barbecue here out of the South because I, I think that that's an, a very underrated two seed. And the East, I, I mean, I've got to go with New York Pizza. There's no way that could really be trumped. I think that's the top overall seed. The West, you know what? The West here, I am going to go with Korean Barbecue. Wow. I, I think there's going to be quite, sleeper. A, quite the sleeper. I, I almost think... That in itself, but no, I have to pick a different Cinderella team than that. My Cinderella team, it's going to be, wow, this is tough, man. It really is. You know what? I don't want to just jump the gun on this. I know my Cinderella team after kind of looking at the matchups. My Cinderella <laughs> team here is, uh, let's see. Yeah, this is... Yeah, I'm going to jot this down for us, all of our picks, and then as this goes on, we can give me see how Give we me do. one sec here. I got to really think this through. Damn, this is not easy. You know what? I'm, here's my Cinderella team looking at these matchups Sourdough Bread Bowl. Wow. There God. it is. That, talk about a gem that if anyone touches to their lips, they're gold. That's that. You want to hear and my I'm Cinderella team? Run for the money. What's up? What is it, Dan? My Cinderella team is Cider Donuts. Wow, I do love Cider Donuts. I actually They're had them recently. Good. I just saying, you're I mean, running looking at the matchup. They're going to go again. A very tough second round after, even if they get through Bagel and Locks. I mean, you're talking about pork roll, egg, and cheese or cheesecake? That is not easy. I mean, pork roll, egg, and cheese trumps Cider Donuts any day of the week. I can't even get behind okay, that. Okay, so I you 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 bring up such a funny point because you guys both said how no matter what New York pizza is going to win, and I'm actually interested to see how biased we all are on that because we're all from New Jersey. It's like you think someone in Colorado cares about New York pizza? I don't even know yeah, what it is. Same with Indiana. I know. They don't I know what it is. Do. But they, they know how it is now. I, I think the name. Yeah, every like, single every single place, no matter where you go, has like a some kind of New York style pizza joint. Even That's in the Midwest. True. That's true, but none of them really know what it is. So, like, the, the you know, New York pizza is just like another thing. And to also, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the pork roll, egg, and cheese thing. That's a Jersey thing. Yeah, that's like, like, uh, Well, yeah, it's yeah, got cider, to the east. cider donuts is going to destroy pork roll, egg, and cheese in our markets. 
because it's just like a broad thing that everyone loves. I don't, I don't know cheese, it's like, talking about being biased, cider donuts are not, that's a, an East Coast thing. <laughs> that has nothing to do with really? anything around the country. Yeah, that's, 100%. That's, like a, that, that's a pumpkin picking thing. No shift. That's not, a, that's an East Coast thing. You're not, cider donuts, you're remembering Chester when we would go get pumpkins and apples and donuts. That is not that's, a thing. I know it's a pumpkin. That's thing. a big Jersey thing. How is that not something they do all over the country? Go look, pick look up apple. where cider donuts are from. They could do it all over the country. I don't know. They're, they're, that's I think, not a, yeah, that's not a nationwide thing at all. That's an East Coast vibe big time. Something I could really get behind here, though, is New England clam chowder in the 11 seed. I mean, that's something they have everywhere. And well, Corey, I mean, why do you think my dark horse is uh, sourdough bread bowl? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, yeah. I get that. That relates to everyone. But yeah, there's there's a bunch of hard matchups. I mean, for you guys listening, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> oh, also Buffalo Wings as a three seed. That might be better than New York pizza. I actually wish I'd change it to that. But you got the first matchup. One of the first matchups in the East is Buffalo Wings versus New England Clam Chowder. But Corey, That's wait, tough. how about Whoopie Pie? I mean, you don't think oh, there's sorry. A, shot, a shot of a 14 there? No, because Buffalo, it's actually Buffalo Wings versus Whoopie Pie, and Buffalo Wings is going to destroy Whoopie Pie. And then it's Lobster Rolls versus New England Clam Chowder, which is a tough matchup. Dude, I would not Lobster Rolls is going to dominate that matchup. And you guys have I would watch out for Whoopie Pie with a huge upset in that game. I, I think people are going to see that name and be like, whoa. You, got, you guys are right about the cider donuts originating from the northeastern United States. Yeah, I don't see them getting much love. I think that's going to be one of those that's like, wait, how are they KO'd on it? Because they taste yeah, so great. done after doing it. But yeah, what I'll do, guys, then yeah, tomorrow not- morning, I'll set up the uh, Facebook event just so we have that ready to roll. And then we can, uh, you know, get this thing built. Wait, can I change my sleeper team after looking that up? That's and a, yeah. On the after this is over, just right on that same March Madness bracket on the bottom, just write what you, everyone's picks are. Or what uh, your picks are. I'm going to just let the listeners know that my new sleeper team is Bagel and Locks. I'm, I'm axing cider donuts. Yeah. They got a tough matchup. Yep, they do. So. Wow. Is that – what else we got going on, Mike? That, that's yeah, that good, was, I'm, I'm, that's What's going on is I'm ready to crush some uh, Cafe China. All right. Let's wrap it up. Mike, are you in a hotel right now? Where are you? Yeah. I'm in a hotel, extended it for another week with this coronavirus going on. 78 bucks a night. I mean, I might as well just stay here long term. It's so true. You know, it's like so could do a residence there. Well, I actually, so Paul, when he goes to San Francisco, he's going to let me just have his apartment for three months. So I, I asked that lease because I'm going to give him some money, obviously. But, you know, that was a no brainer. So I'm gonna just take his apartment for three months. Yeah, it was it was cool having uh, the first podcast all on Eastern Time Zone. It really was, Corey. You must be loving this. It's still sun yeah. sunlight out. Well, yeah, with the extra hour, it's great. Oh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Bootstrapped in the trenches, making moves, going all out every day. Handle business. You know that the hustle don't stop. Got my team. Let's get it. Reviewing books and talk stocks. Steady, keep it moving. So you gon' wanna tune in. Get Lowdell, it's an app. Get local food on demand. Delivery right to your home. Everything in the palm of your hand. Took hard work and dedication. Come through, join the conversation. This is history up in the making. We just wanna be an inspiration. Hey, let's go.